Pants Warhorse here to tell you that you need to clean out your ears and open them up and start listening to the Demon Road Diaries podcast with Caden Green, Ronnie Rios, and Chelsea Durden. It's a pro wrestling podcast where they bring on all sorts of independent wrestling guests and they talk road stories and all sorts of road trips and all sorts of crazy shenanigans that happens behind the scenes. You can listen to it each and every Wednesday and, you know... Warhorse ever gets on there, you can hear about how many gas stations he's peed on the floor in. Anyways, you need to listen to this podcast, the Demon Road Diaries podcast, because it rules ass! In Justin's room? Yeah, because he's asleep in mine. Oh, okay, because I was going to say, like, it's not totally out of the realm of possibility to, like see Ninja Turtles stuff in the background of your room, but I happen to notice that the walls are green, so. Yes. They're Ninja Turtle green. And there's this cool sky thing. Yeah, that's dope as hell. I want that for my room. Fucking wish I stuff. Thought, um, I thought the moon from, Major- uh, from Majora's Mask was on there for a second. <laughs> well, it should be on my version. Y'all know how obsessed I am with Doomsday Prophecies and that game. Alright. You gone and done it now. Welcome to Demon Road Diaries. We figured we would take a week away from talking to our friends or whatever and talk about something. We said we were going to do a news um, pod last week. We didn't because you know holidays and shit. And we Um, fucked you know what sometimes we lie whatever people who care about you will hurt you remember that yes so we are back but we did want to talk about something really big in the news um and uh and we figured it'd be good to just dedicate a whole fucking pod to it so how about that let's jump in with the introductions and we will talk uh uh, we'll give you a heads up on what we're talking about shortly after that, because it's me. It's me. It's that sweet KDG, your music city messiah, Caden Green. It is your quite possibly, most definitely. Um, I tried to think of an Undertaker pun and I couldn't think of one. I'm the bastard son, Ronnie Rios. <laughs> and I... <laughs> just found out that there's reinforced concrete behind the drywall in my apartment. Please don't ask me how or why, Chelsea Durden. All right. Well, that sounds like a fight scene from a Deadpool movie. Um, Uh, I wouldn't say it was a fight so much as uh, an event in which... Uh, Brooklyn Rage was expressed. I mean, did you put maximum effort into it? No, I used the heart of the cards. I'm trying to make a, I'm trying to make a Yu-Gi-Oh abridged reference here. <laughs> uh, uh, well, <laughs> speaking of dead air. Uh, we got a dead man to talk about. Uh, possibly the most well-known dead man. In... You mean wrestling's best-kept secret of the last 30 years? The last sacred bastion of professional wrestling? The mm-hmm. one, the only, the phenom? 
Mm-hmm. The defender of the thin blue line. <laughs> I'll turn this podcast around and go straight home. All right. I had to get it out of my system. <laughs> and that was it, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. As always, stay safe and stay jacked. <laughs> oh, no, no. I love, I love Mark Calloway. Uh, I don't think he's racist. I just think he's confused. A lot of CTE in that man. <laughs> I thought we agreed not to talk about it. All right. So last You have week... to address your trauma head on. <laughs> last week uh, was SummerSlam. Lots of things happened during the SummerSlam. It was not Summer SummerSlam. Slam. Oh, it was Survivor oh, Series. <laughs> last week was Winter Slam. Uh, fall the Summer Fest. Summer fest. <laughs> Fall brawl. Fall brawl for all. It was Survivor Series, as you know, where teams go against other teams and whatever. But fuck that shit. Um, to to quote a famous imbecile, fuck that shit. <laughs> Today we're gonna talk about the end of that pay-per-view. Uh, when a slew of professional wrestling's greats, including uh, the Big Show, Triple H, Booker T, Kane, Holy. And, and quite possibly the greatest of them all, Midian. And, <laughs> and Midian all showed up to pay respects to the dead man himself as, uh, as they laid to rest what was once The Undertaker. Um, I watched that segment... I really didn't care to watch the rest of um of Survivor I mean, Series. There was, there was some good stuff. Street Profits New Day was fun. I I assumed it would be. Well, maybe I'll sit down and watch it when I have a day off. Mm-hmm. It's a real solid tag team wrestling match. Good. Uh, Sasha Banks versus Asuka was pretty fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah. So where do we want to start here? We want to talk about well, the... I think before we deep dive into kind of like the career of Mark Calloway, kind of where he started, where he went, what got him where he went, um, what is everyone's personal feelings uh, and affections, if there are any, uh, towards The Undertaker? Uh, I live and die by The Undertaker. Undertaker has been my favorite wrestler since I was five. He is what first mystified me about professional wrestling. I had a hand-me-down Undertaker figure that I used to walk around with and carry everywhere until my dog chewed the head off, and I was very, very sad. Uh, When I was six, I told my mother that I was going to marry the Undertaker, and that is when she started attempting to restrict my wrestling uh, consumption. Didn't work, as we find out 22 years later. Uh, I sobbed uncontrollably when I saw The Undertaker wrestle live for the first time. And only time. And um, I was The Undertaker for Halloween when I was seven. Uh, And, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's fucking choke slam Tombstone Piledriver some bitches. 
Aaron, you want to go? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, as a kid, I fucking hated The Undertaker. Um, into like my latter teen years when he was biker taker, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I love Limp Biscuit. I ride with this dude for show. Um, so, <laughs> so biker taker was actually my first favorite version of Undertaker, um, which probably sounds weird because you would think we're spooky kids and like the mortician aspect of Taker would probably be more shining to me. Um, but I was I was a basic wrestling bitch as a kid. Like my favorites were like all the big names, like Dusty and Hogan and shit and Mach. So like Taker was this new guy ish kind of, and I just wasn't really into him for the most part until we got until I got into high school and Biker Taker starts rolling, 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 um, and then from then on I was like, yeah, okay, I can deal with this guy. And then he brought back Biker Taker for uh, the Boneyard match. And I was like, all right, fuck it. You got me. I'm done. I'm done fucking rolling. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird for me to kind of surmise how I feel about Undertaker. Because um, he was the one constant in my wrestling consumption. Yeah. You know, like he was there at the very beginning. He was there through like the peak of my fandom and he was there when I came back. Um so I don't know if there's like I think I think one of the reasons I've always had our time deeply connecting with Undertaker was I always connect I've always connected most with wrestlers who um i don't know like tell a certain story be that with their words or their body and just and, and and just or their expressions i think i think that's the one thing that's always been impressive about undertaker is that he's had the most undeniable presence of any of i'm not yeah just pretty much any professional wrestler you encounter um so i think Weird as it is to say, like, my favorite thing about Undertaker was always his entrance. Like, you know, his, that, that, you always waited all year for that Undertaker WrestleMania entrance. Like, because it was going to be the shit. Yeah. Um, and you were going to believe that whoever was standing in that ring was about to get their shit rocked. Mm-hmm. Um, I got, I, I, and that's the thing is like, um, I've always enjoyed the idea of the Undertaker, just this, this this mythical character who found his way, found a way to like bend himself into so many different scenarios, and interact with so many different characters in a way that was believable, at least as believable as it could be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can't help but respect him and 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 just appreciate everything he did. But it's just like. All that praise I just gave about like he's so important and he's so influential and he's so he so has so much presence. Then all I can think about is like him cutting and just nothing but really bad promos <laughs> and like really cheesy like we must get ready for our tonight because we must reveal the Howard power, <laughs> you know and like you know like I'm. 
I don't look, I don't dress like Satan no more, but I'm still down with the devil. Like that shit is always going to be in my brain of like, who, who handed that to you? How did you, why did you do this? I, um, I, okay. So that kind of slides us into something. So, um, Taker, not known for his ability with the mic, but he was almost always paired up with phenomenal talkers. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the some of the people who gave voice to the Taker uh, would be Paul Bear or at one point Percy Pringle, um, Paul E. Dangerously or Paul Heyman. Yeah. Um, I want to say there was a few more. I could well, be if we want to be if we want to be technical, he was he was brother love was his first manager in the Fed. And then um there was that brief time that we had the the under the fake undertaker that was being represented by Ted DiBiase. So mm-hmm. let's just before we get into that, let's let us let us just dive. Let's just let's just do this. Um slide back to the back to the beginning, back to day one. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh before so, the dead man. So I don't I don't want to do like a super didactic like dive into Mark Calloway because I you know I feel like there's a lot to talk about here, but I, I really want to focus on his career as a wrestler. So obviously he was born in Houston, Texas. Um he attended Texas Wesleyan University to get a degree in sports management, decided, you know what? Fuck that mom, I'm gonna be a wrestler. So he drops out and then goes to get trained, uh, gets his initial training from Buzz Sawyer, who he said in interviews recently was a really shitty trainer and didn't teach me anything. And I basically had to learn on the job. And a fun fact about Undertaker is that his first match, which he performed under a mask as Texas Red, he wrestled Bruiser Brody in world-class championship wrestling. And his manager for the night was a young Percival Percy Pringle, a.k.a. Paul Bear. So these two were just always fucking aligned with each other. Like, they were just stars just lined up for these fuckers. They were destined for each other. They were destined. Um, Undertaker! So, um... So, yeah, so basically he just works what's left of the territory system at that point because he debuts in 1987. So at this point, WrestleMania 3 has already happened. Vince's takeover is pretty much complete. Like, there is no territory system or what's left of it is dying very rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, so he works in Continental. Uh, he's managed by Dutch Mantel, kind of bounces around. He does uh, a stint in New Japan. Uh, and then... He gets signed in 1989 to WCW, and that's where he gets his like first major national exposure. And I know you feel more strongly about this time, Aaron. So, did you want to talk about me, Mark Callis? Okay, so so fun fact. Um, I don't remember what documentary I heard about this, but um, so he did his time with WCW. It wasn't a long run at all. Um, basically just doing bits here and there, not really having any like real storylines. Um, and he went to whatever they called creative back in the stone age and was like, Hey, I'd like to have a program, put me in there with so-and-so or so-and-so. And they said, 
you know what? We really don't see anything special about you. We don't really have anything for you. So essentially, they told WCW told The Undertaker, you have, there's nothing special about you. And at that point, he decided that he was going to jump ship. He reached uh, out to, from if I remember correctly, uh, Paul Heyman to get his foot in the door with the WWE or WWF at the time. And uh, this was 1990, um, which slowly led to a single match on WWF Superstar still as uh, – I think is Mark Calloway, not Mark Callis. Um, and then obviously leading into his day, his real debut um, alongside uh, Ted DiBiase at Survivor Series. Yeah. So basically he, the, the legend kind of goes that like, is, is it's just to back up what you were saying was that Heyman had, put out the feelers to Bruce Pritchard saying like, Hey, I got this guy. He's really interested. You should look at him. WCW's not doing anything with him. I think it's weird that WCW would say that they didn't have nothing for him because they put him on the great American bash in a U.S. title match against Lex Luger. And it's that match that Vince watched. It's got the boner for him. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it's like, even back then, he was doing the top rope stuff. He was very agile. He could work. Like, he never did anything super fancy, but he's also, like, six fucking ten. So, yeah. like, the fact that he's doing anything athletic in that time period is, like, holy shit. How do you not have anything for him? Um, but, yeah, he gets his door. He gets his foot in the door, goes to Survivor Series, famously the same night that the Gobbly Gooker debuted. I'm sure everyone's heard all the rumors that, uh, and and the rumor was that according to the dirt sheets at the time, that was apparently the big rumor was that Mark Calloway was going to debut out of the egg because they had the egg set up. So that was something like Meltzer was convinced of that Mark Calloway was going to debut out of this egg, and uh, to the point where even Mark thought that was true, and he had to be like calmed down when he got to the arena. They're like, no, you're not debuting out of a fucking egg <laughs> imagine the trajectory of mark calloway if he would have been hatched from an egg like they're like a mortician a dead man hatched from a giant egg mm. i mean i'm kind of sad that's not how luchasaurus debuted in AEW. he should have <laughs> um but yeah, uh, do you guys have any particular uh, notes? I, I find I find Taker's like early run kind of no, I wouldn't say uneventful because obviously he was doing stuff, but just yeah. not a lot to talk about. You know, he it's it's matches we all know about the, the the he cleans house at Survivor Series. He has the WrestleMania match against Snuka. The streak is born. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you guys want to talk about with that early? Uh, take a run before he becomes champion? I mean, the early the early Taker run is still you know well, it's nothing compared to what he became when he like really came into his own and this whole like incredible mystique surrounded him. Uh, it's still 
it's still pretty noteworthy because this was we're still in the era here in his early taker work of uh like big characters and it almost seemed like at the beginning they were like oh, he's a he's a giant mortician we'll just see if that works and it was almost like kind of like a throwaway thing it yeah. seemed like yeah. you know mm -hmm. like we want to do something with this guy maybe this will stick and maybe this will work and maybe it won't and because i didn't start watching wrestling um until i was five or six um which is like eight years into undertaker being undertaker so undertaker was already like a major thing by that point mm -hmm. you know in the, middle of the attitude era so i didn't see any of the early early taker stuff until much later when you know tapes and youtube and like collect volumes and stuff were things so it wasn't necessarily that he wasn't important back then but you could see with the progression especially with you know not watching week by week at that point but watching a very condensed version of early undertaker like how the way they use him progresses mm -hmm. until he morphs into something more than the original plan so i just i just thought that was cool like when you when you compare all that i um the one thing i appreciate about taker is that uh, he and i think this is one of the reasons he's lasted as long he lasted as long as he did is he's very good at analyzing what his character how his character should behave based on what he's being told is the expectation of his character because mm -hmm. when he came in he was just frankenstein like yeah. you know he's fucking he's just it's chokeholds and the eye rolls and and just and just a lot of slow movement and he can't sell anything and um i think it's in the 1992 royal rumble that this happens i think rick flair low blows him like rick flair does the classic fucking you know, big arm up the crotch, fucking low blow, and it's like Taker does this most masterful, the most masterful sell I've ever seen, which is just he can't completely no sell it because then it's like, what am I saying that I have no dick? And yeah. but I can't crumble because I'm the Undertaker. So what he does is he doesn't crumple. He doesn't like do a big exaggerated sell, but he just he just shoots his head up really quickly. With like no facial expression, just like boom. And it's just like it's just this like idea that like my body felt that. Like there's un it's unavoidable for me to feel that. But yeah. I'm the undertaker and it's not gonna phase me. That's I love I love talking about that moment. It's so because it, it's so funny to talk about. Um and it goes so much into the art that is pro wrestling you know, that, like, seemingly nothing moment, it's like, well, how do I sell a shot to the dick as <laughs> an undead magic zombie thing? Yeah. And it's one of my favorite reaction gifts. <laughs> Just like, oh, shit. 
Um, so before I go on to my next point, how do you guys feel about red mullet taker? I think um, all mullets matter. <laughs> not only do all mullets matter, um, I will always accept Taker for who he is, uh, ginger and all. Fun fact. Factoid, I should say. Um, the reasoning behind the Undertaker gimmick is that they realize, like, well, oh, he's, you know, a ginger... They already have no soul, so portraying a zombie should be, you know, no problem. I'll leave. I see. I see. I see your work on that. Mm. Um, it checks so, out. Yeah, it checks out. The map checks out. Um, so we go into uh, Survivor Series a year later in 1991. And he ends up beating Hulk Hogan with some chicanery via Ric Flair. But he ends up beating Hulk Hogan for the WWF title when Hulkamania is, is waning down, but is still we're still pretty much in the thick of it. Yeah. And I just think it's wild that even though it was like kind of a transitional title reign, um, because it was a way to, for them to get the belt off of Hogan to Flair, um, Still, you got uh, this is a fact that has kind of amazed me is that he is four years in at this point and he's fucking WWF champion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, holy shit. <laughs> Can you imagine when you were four years in, like, you're WWF champion? <laughs> I think four years in, I was tag champion at some awful garbage promotion in the middle of like. I don't know, fucking Kissimmee or not even Kissimmee, some fucking garbage city in Florida. <laughs> it's, it's also that, you know, little transitional run, his first run as champion was the start of, um, you know, his relatively short title reigns because Taker never held on to like, any title for very long and that was like a constant throughout his whole career because just he pretty quickly became such I don't even know how to describe it a thing that he didn't really need a title to elevate him it was like he didn't need the title to elevate him he elevated the importance of the title yeah yeah I think he only held uh, like a world title or equivalent, excuse me, eight times in his career. Um, and then I want to say he's held tag titles a few times. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's definitely been a, a multiple time tag team champion. Yeah, with Kane. Kane. He held tag titles with Big Show. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's others. I think there was like a weird storyline where he held the belts with Austin with at one point. Um, but uh, I think, well, I think that's the other thing too is like, I've, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but like Taker did get the occasional, like he did his, like he has like one or two kind of lengthier reigns, but 
I do think it's like Taker's just one of those characters where like, yeah, he doesn't need the title because he's the Undertaker. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know if you want the title on Taker for a long time. Like the idea of Taker chasing the belt is always more interesting than Taker defending the belt. And then also it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's, but at the same time, I appreciated when he was in title pictures because it like, it gave like a weird, um, it gave like a weird reality to what he was doing. It's like, well, of course he'd be chasing. Why wouldn't he be chasing the title? He's the Undertaker. He's clearly the best guy here, you know. So I don't know. I just, I I think in a in a pro wrestling sense, it's like the big character being your champion for a long time. I don't know if that always works. Whereas like. You know, just like the solid, like, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I get why Bret Hart had long title reigns, but I get why Taker didn't. Because it's just like, they're just two different entities. Makes sense. We don't need, like, I mean, most of the biggest, biggest big names didn't hold titles for more than a few months at best. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, you have people like Sam Punk who went like a year with the title, including um, a couple of programs with The Undertaker. Yeah. Again, that was the thing. I think it's it's always more fun. I think people like that's the thing. It's like you want the champion more times than not to be someone who either is hated because fans love to see a title change. So it's like either be somebody they hate. Or somebody they feel indifferent about. And Taker's never going to be either of those things. No. So the idea is like, it, I imagine it'd be hard, especially as he got later on into his career, like like past Ruthless Aggression and stuff. It's like, you can't build, you can't really build heels or baby faces with him as champion because nobody wants to watch The Undertaker lose his belt. <laughs> yeah. Um... So it's kind of like a band-aid. Just like rip it off as fast as you can. (laughs) Guys, the holidays are upon us and it is time for better beard care. Whether it's for your beard in that Movember, no-shave November you got going on. Or maybe it's for your dad's beard, your boyfriend's beard, or whoever else's. But the best way to take care of your beard is with better beard care from La Barba Cubano. We just dropped a winter line that has three new beard oils and a comb uh, available at labarba.life. So head to labarba.life, pick out some oils for a gift for someone you love, or maybe just for your own face. And when you're ready to check out, use the code Demon Daddies to save yourself 13% at checkout. La Barba Cubano, it's better beard care for your beard or a beard you love. Uh, all right, so he moves forward. Um, he then enters kind of that weird kind of confusing feud because this is the WrestleMania 8 booking where everything kind of got moved around and we didn't get like a, a real Jake Roberts, Randy Savage blow off and 
Hulk Hogan and Sid, Just- Sid Justice end up wrestling each other, and now Savage is wrestling Flair, and it's the card's kind of all over the place. So we ended up getting Taker versus Jake Roberts in kind of a whatever match, but um, an important match. Um, this doesn't really have anything to do with Taker, but just a quick side note. I always enjoyed WrestleMania 8 because if you look at it from the outside, that WrestleMania is literally New Generation versus Hulkamania. Yeah. Because you have um, you have Bret Hart beat Roddy Piper. You have Shawn Michaels beat Tito Santana. You have Undertaker beat Jake Roberts. And then you have Sid Vicious not beat Hulk Hogan, but he doesn't lose to him either. And he actually kicks out of the leg drop. Yeah. So it's like this weird microcosm of this perfect space and time where like, oh, this was the shift. This was this is where we're we're building to the future. Um so then he kind of goes on what I, I consider like the really iconic, like this is the Undertaker. Like when people think of the Undertaker, like at least that first version of Undertaker, this is this is it. This is this is the casket matches. This is this is this is all the spooky shit. This is all the chicanery. This is all the the voodoo magic. Um, you know, it's it's Yokozuna. It's 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 Kamala. It's it's um fucking just just every monster of the week matches he keeps having, where he's wrestling yeah. Giant Gonzalez and King Kong Bundy and in this forever war with the million dollar corporation. Um. So, do you guys have any particular notes or any particular highlights or about this era of Undertaker? This is Purple Taker time, right? So, I, specifically, we could talk about, yeah, that shift into the purple. Because he goes, so he has, he has a feud with Kamala, and then Champsters into a feud with Giant Gonzalez. Um... And then that leads to uh, Survivor Series where he this, does the weird fucking, like, I'm going to lift my coat and there's an American flag underneath it for some reason. <laughs> yeah. American taker. Amer- the first glimpses of American badass. Um, and so then that builds to the Yokozuna feud, which ends with him getting put into the casket and essentially buried. Um so before we continue on that, I just want to say, like, what do you guys think it is about Undertaker that he gets away with all the magic bullshit? Like that he gets he has real like for his entire career, he's had some real fucking like dinner theater fucking <laughs> like spectacles <laughs> occur during his matches and nobody gives him any shit for it. It's it's just this like really special individual thing about the undertaker which i always mention when i say that he's like the last secret bastion of professional wrestling like he came in during like the end um and maybe even after the like really hokey area uh era of pro wrestling when uh when characters like that were kind of being phased out. Um, 
but there was just this um, like actual magic about him that made him so special that it made it okay. Because like if anybody did that shit today, or even five years ago, or even ten years ago, it'd be like, what the fuck is that? Get off my fucking television! Like, what are you, what are you doing? Hi in the writers' room last Tuesday. Like, but. For him, there was just, it just came off so perfectly as part of the mystique of The Undertaker that, like, no one could even dream of giving him shit for, like, actual magic. And, you know, and he turns on the lights for everybody. I mean, I fuck with dark magic, so I have nowhere to point out that he's wrong, so... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to insinuate he's wrong at all. I just just think it's curious that, like, as someone who's kind of labeled as, like, the last outlaw, the last one who's keeping the business alive, and it's like, Taker was doing more to kill the business than I think the Young Bucks ever did. Well, yeah, I mean, he has the ability to turn off the, the, turn off the lights uh, with the wave of his hand and then just not be there anymore, or vice versa. Um which has always been like cool as fuck to me and I always want to do it but any venue we've ever been in is like well lit and we're wrestling at 4:30 in the afternoon so it's not possible. Yeah. But like in like a really old high school gym where it takes 20 minutes to turn for the lights to turn back on if you turn them yeah. off. Yeah. That way I'm like already mid-match I'm hitting some really cool fucking spot. Then the lights come on. And I'm like, oh, you guys just missed it. I did a fucking 590. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but yeah, so he goes away for a little while. Um, and I think, just another random side note, I think that's one of the reasons why Taker was able to last as long as he did was that because of the nature of his character, he was allowed to just disappear for a while. Yeah. And like, because, you know, as we go into like further documentaries made about his life, he was constantly injured like just yeah. constantly something on that man was broken you can't be that fucking ball doing this crazy shit and expect to just like be okay a hundred percent of the time it's like at that height <laughs> he wasn't okay 50 percent of the time <laughs> yeah it's it's like at that at that height um even not doing wrestling you're still really prone to knee problems and ankle problems and back problems and shoulder problems and all of that just because most human bodies are not meant to carry a frame like that. So it's like not only are you carrying around this hulking meat suit, you're forcing it to do things that the body was just simply not meant to do for long periods of time. But, uh, yeah, so he goes away for a little while. He We end up getting the Undertaker versus Underfaker match at SummerSlam, the Underfaker being played by Brian Lee, um, who apparently was famously blacklisted from pro wrestling because he uh, pissed off Undertaker when he was doing this storyline. Oh, uh, that's probably the worst idea you could ever have. Yeah. Uh what? So Vince shot this guy this message and says, we need you to be the fake Undertaker or whatever. Like, calls the guy into the office. And the guy's like, 
yeah, let's, uh, yeah, that's fine. I'll do this gimmick. And then Taker comes back and like, shoot, doesn't know that this guy is being a fake version of him. Is that like how the, the mythos no, goes? No, I think it was like, I, I don't remember the specific story. It was like, it was, it was something more like inane than that. Um, hold on. Um, Because he was like, yeah. Uh, it says here, although the idea was for Lee to continue portraying the imposter Undertaker for some time afterward and to have more matches against the actual Undertaker, WWF dropped the storyline after SummerSlam. So I think the way it was portrayed was always like, oh, well, the match was really shit. Fans didn't react to it, so we just dropped it. But I've always heard that, like, Lee kind of I don't know if it was like I I can't remember, I don't want to make aspersions but it was something like really petty not petty like 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 unwarranted but just like it was like high school shit like a, he like hit on Undertaker's wife or something uh, like it was something real high school bullshit um, sounds like wrestling yeah yeah but I mean also but yeah just like being an idiot like th- like there's there's one guy you don't want to piss off here <laughs> <laughs> that's a real easy way to do it um so yeah so we move so that's when he comes back with the purple attire and that's when we we start getting like the purple smoke and the big fat urn and it's like now everything's like up to 11 like it's just like we are full-blown fucking mid-90s undertaker now and we go through a couple more phases. You know, we get the Phantom of the Opera Taker. Thanks, Mabel. Um, <laughs> and eventually, we get to about 1996. Um, and this is where we start to see that dial get turned up. Where Taker's becoming a little bit more dark. And a little bit more fucked up. Chelsea, how do you feel about Taker's entrance at the 1996 Survivor Series? Or as I call it, the Man Bat entrance. Um, so this was, this was one, um, because it was in 1996, that I didn't see until much... I actually don't remember how old I was when I actually saw it. Um, but I always thought it was cool because um, as well as being like shades of the bat for me who i'm also quite partial to um just like god i'm probably the worst person to ask about this just because um he basically can do very little if at anything wrong for me like you could show me a video video of the undertaker like screaming obscenities at a kitten and i would probably be like well, the kitten probably fucked up pretty bad. Like, you know. The kitten needs to learn how to fucking work. That's the problem. <laughs> the kitten needs to learn how to fucking work. Like, when I say take the man. arm. I just, every time I see that footage, every time I see that footage now, I just hear, like, the fucking, um, I don't know if it's from Piderman or what meme I saw, but just I just hear the real fat, like, oh, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Because he looks so. I mean, there's no way he could have been comfortable, but he looks so uncomfortable in that harness, and he can. He's. You can tell he's terrified to move. Like he's just like, just get me down, just get me down, just get me down. <laughs> oh yeah, like, like hundred percent. It was like, all right, I don't want to actually die. Yeah. <laughs> I am um, a large man who's built to hold me. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so this is when. We start getting like his matches with mankind, which to me are fucking chef's kiss, exploding anus. Yeah, Um, that's peak peak taker for me. Like uh, that's that's the taker. Like obviously this is pre pre um, biker taker, but like yeah, taker mankind was like the money. Yeah, I wish they could have done. It sucks that fully retired when he did and i and i only say that because he kept coming back like he kept doing stuff so it's like i understand that like you probably needed time off and you wanted time off both physically and mentally but like i kind of wish he could have stuck around because like him and taker that that was the feud that was the rivalry and like once we got out of like once we did Hell in a Cell, they never really touched again. Yeah. And it's just like, granted, where do you go from there? But, like, come on. You can't yeah. tell me American Badass versus Cactus Jack. That would have been so much fun. Like, while well, I'm sure it would have been fantastic, it's just, you know, it's exactly what you said. Like, where where do you go from there? It's, it's I don't want to, like, I wouldn't have wanted to, like, taint the legacy of like god like that just that is wrestling that is like mm-hmm. that is like the peak of it's like what the fuck is wrestling show it them is, have you have you guys i mean we'll talk about it when we come we get to that match so let's 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 curtail when we get to that match because we do have to talk about probably the most important aspect of this time period which is this is it this is the moment wrestlemania 13 Taker gets his title run. And this is probably, aside from some of the world heavyweight title runs he had at the very tail end of the Ruthless Aggression era, or like maybe you, some people think of more of his undisputed title reigns. But like, I feel like this is the definitive Undertaker was given the ball. This was his run. Uh, how do you guys feel about this, like, I want to say, like, I think he had the belt for, like, six months. Like, he had it He had it from WrestleMania 13 to SummerSlam 97. So that's, like, nine months or something? It was one of his... I think it was probably his longest run, if I'm not mistaken. Um, gosh, 97. I was... I may not have even been watching wrestling yet. Um... At the tender age of five. So, but, 97, some of his notable feuds were Vader, right? And then Austin at some point? Um, well, yeah, he definitely had it in your house match with Austin. Um, and he... I think Royal Rumble with Vader. Oh, well, he had the... He had the King of the Ring match with fucking Farouk. Yeah. Yeah. 
which that one's interesting because they tried to do this angle uh, referencing what I was talking about earlier. The crux of that feud was uh, Farouk calling Undertaker a racist. Because he said, because I remember one promo he cut, he said, oh, so we can have a dead man be WWF champion, but we can't have a black man be WWF champion. Shit. That was during nation time, though, right? Yeah, that was peak nation for peak nation oh yeah so everything was racist back then it was it didn't matter what it was it's like then (laughs) yeah it was like oh you want to put creamer in your coffee why you can't have black coffee and then it's like oh because you racist so yeah no everything was racist um back then which is like you know like i don't know half right uh, about wrestling back then so they ain't wrong about wrestling now and definitely right about wrestling now um True. so yeah uh he had quite the run there um this is lord of darkness era right the 96 through 98 is yeah, like this is when he starts doing the you know he's got the fingerless gloves and he's got the medieval kind of blouse thing going on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Goth era yeah he's peak he's you know he's he's getting into his renaissance fashion like he is mm-hmm. he's fucking he's fucking killing it right now yeah um guys it's i just i don't know how i didn't realize it but i just realized it just now mm. that that era of taker during such an important formative time of my life as i'm starting school starting to develop my own personality that's why i'm goth yeah Shit, yeah. I just figured it out. You wait, you figured that out now? <laughs> um yeah, amongst all the childhood trauma, it's just like it's hard to make anything line up there, man. It was just Yeah. I don't know. We're it's a really emotional night. It's all good. Um yeah, so he ends up dropping the title to uh, Bret Hart at SummerSlam because again chicanery. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shawn Michaels can't know where to aim his fucking chair shot, which then leads to the very first Hell in a Cell match, which is Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. Uh, yeah. A match that have you guys gone back and watched that match recently? Because it's fucking good. So I watched that a couple months ago. Yeah, probably a couple months ago. Yeah, so I watched that a couple months ago and I sent. Rios is still from it. And I said, I want pants like Shawn Michaels pants in this. Mm-hmm. That's when he had like uh, black and red, like the black pants with the hearts all over them, the red hearts all over them. Yeah. And I was like, can we do this for our next gear? But like, I want pants with our skull all over them. So yes, I remember that one uh, pretty vividly. Uh, that was the first, the first Hell in a Cell ever. Yes. Yeah. That was it. That was the match that, introduced the concept which essentially was just uh jim Cornette talked about this which is just like it's essentially just a, a memphis or not even a memphis i think it was a it was like a it was basically like a jim crockett southern style cage where it's like it's a lot bigger and we just put a roof on it it's like like cages like that have existed before but they had never done something like that in the wwf so jim Cornette kind of introduced this concept to them of like well, you could just make it like this. It ups the stakes because now they have full use of the ring. 
and there's a roof, so there's no escape. It's just you have, and like that was the whole point of the match was that Sean had been ducking the Undertaker, so it was like he had to finally face the consequences of his actions. Yeah. Um, the very first accountability match. <laughs> um, but of course that led to, and and we're, we we kind of buried the lead here because. In the lead up to that match, there had been months and months and months of fucking teasing for a very important character in the in the pantheon of Undertaker, which is his little baby brother, Kane, um, who I learned uh, Bruce Pritchard's son is named after because he's the one that pitched the name Kane, and he always liked it, so he named his son after that. Um, but. Yeah, so this match is the debut of Kane because he shows up, wrecks shit, um, and costs Undertaker the match. And so, again, what do you guys? How do you guys feel about that debut? Because in my in my opinion, that is the perfect professional wrestling debut. Like Just that is the debut that every like every time somebody switches to a company. Or someone debuts a new character. If someone's ever trying to come off as like a badass or make a quote unquote impact, that's the debut mimic. Oh, absolutely. Like uh again I'll mention I was five. <laughs> uh so that was fucking great. And I still process it as a five year old. As you should. Um, but yeah, I mean, and this, you know, we're, we're, we're taking our time on this one, but, but basically we get Undertaker versus Kane at WrestleMania 14. And then that continues to build and build and build. He wrestles Austin at SummerSlam for the title. Famously, Austin got knocked out five minutes into the match. So this, what was supposed to be like a passing of the torch, Matt fucking classic, you know, that taker was trying to have with austin did not happen <laughs> um but that leads to what we get in probably both simultaneously the most ridiculed and celebrated thing undertaker has ever done which is the ministry of motherfucking darkness yes <laughs> the Ministry of Darkness. I always put respect on the Ministry of Darkness. That's his best version of his theme. <laughs> You're gonna do it now. No, no, we haven't gotten there yet. We haven't gotten there. Oh, uh, not that one? No, it's the, no, it's the Taker theme, yet. but with the fucking uh, symphonic guitars and the fucking... Um, so, my favorite part of Ministry of Darkness Taker is the cutouts... Uh, mm-hmm. On his shirt that that later became like real hot for most female wrestlers, but uh, his top had like cutouts that you could mm-hmm. see the skin through the Undertaker logo. Yeah, and uh, I think that's really the majority of what I remember about uh, Ministry of Darkness Taker. I mean, there's there's obviously other parts, but like um, I mean, nothing's gonna top. In my opinion, the biggest pop in the history of wrestling. It's it is it is both the biggest pop I've ever heard in a wrestling match or a wrestling show, and it's also the best 
call Jim Ross ever made, just based on the sheer timing of it. Which is, um, do you guys remember the Dark Wedding? <laughs> oh, yes. uh, yeah. So Stephanie McMahon is captured, uh, and they they attach her to the Undertaker symbol, which is crucifix size now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was not the first time that that had appeared, or, or wouldn't be the first time that that appears, because I think later Austin gets crucified on it. That's a hell of an image. Um, but uh, Taker is trying to wed Stephanie, um, and she's tied to this, this, this symbol. Paul Bear's reading the fucking satanic vows, and literally, like, he gets to the... You may now kiss your bride. And it's just this perfect fucking shot of Taker rolling back his eyes, lifting his hood back, and you just hear Jim Ross go, Oh, for the love of God! And at the (laughs) last syllable, the last syllable of God, the glass shatters. And the fucking crowd is like, oh, and like literally Jesus came back. Literally, he is back. And he's in the form of the fucking cyborg redneck, the fucking, the, the SOB Stone Cold. And he just beats the fuck out of everyone. <laughs> and it, to me, that is like, I can't ever hate Ministry of Darkness Taker because he gave me that moment. <laughs> I watched the the wedding bit um, probably, like, all the fucking time because it's so fucking good. And I just love the... And probably my um, one of my favorite parts of the whole thing is when Stephanie McMahon hugs Austin. And he does the no hands. um, Because he's like, hands, hands. You can see my hands, right? Everybody can see my hands. (laughs) Um, also, he had a top knot, and I just wanted to point that out. So, he oh, top uh, well, we, we actually kind of skipped over it. We were going to talk about it, we actually kind of skipped over it. What happened before we got full blown ministry taker was the match we kind of alluded to, which is the fabled Hell in a Cell match against mankind. The, um, the fucking match, the fucking match. Um, like I, I've seen, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I, so I've seen Undertaker live twice, I think, in my life, and one was uh, against Edge at uh, the Orlando Mania, the the not the most recent one, but the one prior. Mm-hmm. And uh, do what? Twenty four. No. I had to have been way old, older than that. Wait, because I'm no, a he, year, I'm a year he, younger than Mania, or a year older than Mania. No, but like he, he, um, he wrestled <laughs> Edge at WrestleMania 24. Like that's un, that's an undisputed fact. Oh, uh, okay. Well, then yes. So maybe that was the one. <laughs> Did CM Punk win Money in the Bank the second yes. time? Yes. Yes. WrestleMania then 24 yes, in Orlando. You were twenty five years old. Way closer to now. I don't know. Whatever. That's when um, when fucking Rick got retired. Um, anyway, yeah. so yeah. Um, but 
that Hell in a Cell match is still my favorite fucking Undertaker match. If it's not your favorite Undertaker match, then I don't know who you are as a person. It's um, my favorite match. Just match of all time. Yeah. It, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's, it's more than a match. That, that shit's a straight up experience. Yeah. Like, like I know a lot of people compare it to like a car crash. And I get why, but um, I don't know. It's just it's one of those like it's just it's more than that. It's just such a like just for me. It's a religious experience, it, and in a, in a weird way, it kind of is because it's just like like Mick Foley talks about in the interviews that it, like that was one of the matches that helped them get to Ministry of Darkness Taker because it was like. There were so many things about that match that were about Mick Foley and were about him and about what he was trying to do with his character. But yeah. on the Undertaker side of that, that was the match that pushed Undertaker to this next level of like, he's getting more violent. He's getting more uncontrolled and unrestrained. Like the darkness is really taking him over. And so it's like to really get that across, you had to have a match that really showed that. And like Mick Foley just stepped up to the fucking plate, and was like, "I will literally let this man kill me, yeah, if it means getting over the fact that he is different." Yeah. Um. So yeah, hell of a fucking deal. And of course, you know, he hung Big Boss Man at WrestleMania, but we're not going to talk about that. No. This is it. So, uh, he ends up, uh, you know. Going through a pretty painful injury. Um, I think it was like he had like a groin tear. or a, um, And it was just like really, it was really fucked up. So he was gone for about eight months uh, in 1999. Comes back in 2000 as the one, the only. Aaron, go ahead. And- You're going to do it now. The American badass. Um, you can't do that with your mouth open. You have to do it with your teeth clenched. Yeah. Like you're a snarling dog. It, it sounds it's... better if you give yourself a little bit of a dip lip. Like, you're doing it now. <laughs> um, yeah, you really bare your teeth through it. Uh, but yeah, we get American badass Undertaker. Uh, a lot has been said about this period of Undertaker's life. I love this um, period of Undertaker's life. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys as? And I'm not talking about just like when he came initially, like the whole thing, the good and the bad, because there was some good in there. Those Brock yeah. Lesnar matches are pretty insane. Um, so he rode a motorcycle to the ring. Yeah. Like nobody has done that. Like unless you're in some parking lot douchebag show. Well, I mean, uh, DOA did it. Okay. Well, not a lot of people have done that. <laughs> hey, you put some respect on Royce Adams' dad's name. <laughs> not a lot of people have done it well. True. Okay, fair. So um, he rode a motorcycle to the ring and around the ring, like which completely is different than the normal Undertaker entrance of walking for 45 minutes to get to the ring. So, like, that was a change. Um, 
at one point he came out to Limp Biscuits Rollin', which obviously we know is in fact the greatest song ever written by a musician. Yeah. Uh, but as a kid, I remember being like, he's the American badass. Why isn't he coming out to Kid Rock's American Badass? Because, you know, I didn't understand legality or anything. Well, he that's the funny thing is he did initially. Yeah. So, like, it was it was like American Badass Undertaker. It was like American Badass by Kid Rock. And then I don't know if Roland was the second theme or if he immediately jumped into his Jim Johnson theme. But it was like he had Roland for some period of time and then he didn't have Roland and he actually went back to Roland just to do the WrestleMania 19 entrance because they decided oh. they were able to book Limp Biscuit that year and like, well, fuck, like you got to come out to Roland again. And so, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, but just overall, how do you guys feel about this version of Undertaker? I have some very hot takes on this version of Undertaker, but I'll save that for my end. Um, I, like I said, I loved it. I mean, wrestling was still very real to me at this point and very much. So I didn't care about matches. I cared about characters. Um, and he had some like, I mean, obviously the latter end was like Brock Lesnar matches and stuff, but he had some really fun matches that like, it was all about the character at that point. And then like, just the visual of American badass undertaker was fucking cool. Like, if you had an uncle who was in a biker gang or like, you know, rode a Harley, like you were like, yeah, this is relatable as fuck. So I tried to avoid remembering the bad parts of it. That's why I haven't watched any of them since I was in high school. Chelsea. Yeah. I, I, I fucking, I fucking love biker taker as much as I loved all the other iterations of biker taker. Oh, sorry. Undertaker, um, I was like, how do you how do you make the Undertaker any cooler to eight year old Chelsea? Throw him on a fucking motorcycle? Hell yeah! Like, I just, you know, a lot of people think that Biker Taker was dumb, um, and those people are all dead now, so we don't have to worry about that. Unless James is about to open his fucking mouth. <laughs> My mouth is always open. <laughs> I know what I said. She said. <laughs> um, now I want to preface what I'm about to say. Because what I'm about to say is going to sound like I'm slandering him. But I just want you all know that when we watched the Boneyard match this last WrestleMania... And they did the fucking Undertaker motorcycle entrance to fucking Metallica. I don't even like Metallica that much, but I'm just like, there's a spot in my heart that Biker Taker always hits. And it was really nice to see him again. Um, that all being said. Oh. I have a hot take about Biker Taker that uh, no, one ever, no one really seems to process, but I, I will keep shouting it. Mark Calloway got away with playing Diesel four years. Yeah. First of all, how dare you? 
He had the same. He had the same finish. He did the fucking arm deal. He, he had the same gear. <laughs> I need you to remain exactly where you are. <laughs> I will be very shortly. Honey, please get my coat. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things to do when I play 2K games is to make them, because there's always a Diesel and there's always a American Badass Taker as I make them a tag team. It's, it's fun. I feel like Diesel was gone. No, yeah, Diesel was gone. I'm just saying. like, yeah, no, But he was gone long enough that we could literally see the same fucking character. Mm-hmm portrayed by someone else and not say wow that is diesel that's diesel gear well and i mean it's just movie. it worked because well the thing is it the reason they got away with it was because the diesel gimmick never worked like it works now in retrospect because people have nostalgia for it because it was something that happened and like we yeah. all have like a vague respect for kevin nash because he's funny in shoot interviews and he's like a decent wrestler it's not like he shit the bed all the time but it's like there's just a general nostalgia for that period because we love Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Owen Hart and fucking Yokozuna. Uh, and Diesel was a part of that. Mm-hmm. And But Undertaker took that aspect, that idea of a character, and actually did it very well because he's fucking yeah. Mark Calloway. <laughs> he's the Undertaker. Because that's who he best. was. Rode a motorcycle. That's the thing, too. It was an authentic – it was just – he just got to be himself for a little while. Yeah. Um. Uh, though I will give credit to his early American Badass when he was still had the long hair and he was kind of showing up with these like weird sunglasses and these like weird caps and like long trench coats. Uh, mm-hmm. Kevin Mann of the uh, Attitude Era podcast kind of ruined Undertaker for me because he said on one episode that he looked like a UFO enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> so like... Nobody, nobody asked you to do this. <laughs> so it's like you imagine him coming in talking about like getting probed and abducted and like we're we're looking for chemtrails, Cole, Michael Cole. <laughs> Wait. Wait. There's only there's only two ways you can uh, go about with uh, a trench coat. Like you either look really really fucking badass, or you look like you believe like insane conspiracy theories Um, and yeah and like you send out microwave like uh radio signals to planet zerg bomb and hope that one day your soulmate which is an alien from another planet will come and love you so this really that's the only two options you have and the sad part is the ones who are looking for love on planet Zergbomb uh, also think they look like total badasses in a trench coat. Yep. Is uh, planet Zergbomb the name of this episode? Uh, welcome to planet Zergbomb. I am the Undertaker. Gugu Kachu. That's the name. <laughs> um, but speaking of looking badass in a trench coat, we this does take us to Survivor Series 2003. Uh, after, after all the big evil... After all the dead man ink, after all the boots that were put in people's asses and all the America that was defended, um, we get to Survivor Series 2003 and he loses a buried alive match to Vince McMahon because Kane interfered and Mm -hmm. finally, finally put his brother in the fucking grave where he belongs. But 
You fool! He's a grave-type Pokemon! It only makes him stronger! <laughs> um, so this leads to his return to the dead man, the phenom, however you want to call it, the handy-dandy mortician, um, at WrestleMania 20. And from this point forward, you know, some slight deviations in gear, uh, new tricks added to the bag here and there, like the Hell's Gate submission and other little weird things but basically he's the dead man for the rest of his time yeah um so the, going forward the big the, hat comes in yeah yeah this big hat um well, he had that like he had that weird like he had that he, he went through, like a weird phase where like he was going like do, oh, do, i hate mohawk taker do you guys remember mohawk taker oh god fuck mohawk taker that was <laughs> that was a part of that was a part of mma taker too yeah like, yeah, he it got he got started wearing the together. MMA gloves, and yeah, he was like, yeah, he was really good that the triangle, tri- and he was and Bob and Weave, the Bob and greatest Weave. pure striker in the WWE. Oh my god, it's like we fucking get it. You own an Affliction T-shirt, jeez, man, take a fucking seat. Hey, look, like, they hadn't made. Listen, what else was he gonna wear? They hadn't made Blue Lives Matter shirts yet. Stop, okay. everyone. <laughs> And that's the end of the second half <laughs> podcast. Thanks for listening to Demon Road Diaries. As always, stay safe, stay jacked. I'm not done yet. I will be her. I can't hear it. I'm having a good time, and honestly, I'm feeling really attacked right now. Um, so, yeah, so 2004, he comes back uh, at WrestleMania Double X. Um, well, I was going to say, aside from maybe. A, a couple of specific feuds that I would like to highlight really only just like the Randy Orton feud and maybe like the edge feud. This period is kind of a blur to me. Yeah. Um, this is probably the period I was watching the least. And in fact, this is the period where I just full on stopped watching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know that Chelsea, this is probably like when you were like fucking, I mean, you were already dialed in, but you were really dialed in at this point. So like, of this period, I would say of like from like WrestleMania 20 to about WrestleMania like 26. What are your thoughts about this time as with Undertaker? I mean, this was the period where like um, he was already kind of sorting, kind of sort of winding down mm. at this point. And um, Undertaker period started um, usually from, what, like SummerSlam to WrestleMania? Like every... Yeah, he like, I I feel like, yeah, I feel like he would work, he would work the Rumble, he would work Rumble to Mania, and then usually SummerSlam, and he would, if I remember correctly, he always found a way to like, he would work till like yeah, he worked till Mania and then like the pay per view after Mania. And then he basically had until SummerSlam off. Yeah, then, he would hi- he would hibernate over the summer. Yeah, and then and then from SummerSlam to about Survivor Series he had off. And then he would work Survivor Series and then maybe they could get the December pay per view out of him, and that was about it. This but we got, you know, a lot of, we got a lot of really iconic shit during this time. We had, you know, um, 
Taker and Edge. We had Taker Orton. We mm-hmm. had Taker Shawn Michaels, Shawn Michaels. Um, lots of like, lots of really important for the history of the Undertaker uh, feuds and matches. And it really starts to become evident here the type of human that Undertaker is because he was all about, you know, I forget what interview I saw, I heard this, I heard this quote, you know, about the Undertaker where he was like, where it's like, uh, the type of person the Undertaker was in wrestling was, um, you know, come on up guys, there's, there's plenty, he's, he's sitting at the top of the mountain helping everybody else, else up, he's like, come on guys, let's make some money together, you know, there's plenty of room for everyone up here, and was really cementing guys who were pretty young at the time as legends in their own right and i always thought that was that was really cool so the the with the with the exception of um with the exception of the Shawn michaels feuds uh during this time um it was really this was the period of undertaker passing the torch and it became like a really important thing of like whose turn is it this year to mm-hmm. be the guy that not only they trust not to fuck undertaker up like irreparably and be to like you know give that guy give that guy the elevation and that was always that was always really cool to me and i always i really i always really thought that that was great and of course you know all of all of these matches were amazing not just the not just the you know wrestlemania matches themselves but like everything leading up to it and of course this was the era of is undertaker back yet all right playa you're going one on one with the undertaker you know this friday on friday night smackdown which is always fun um yeah so i mean I guess to that point, this this begins really the almost like the video game like nature of the streak. This is when the streak is really like it is now a focal point of WrestleMania. You can't have WrestleMania without an Undertaker match, uh, and it does become a conversation point piece every year. Who is wrestling Undertaker at WrestleMania? And it's like it's a given you're going to lose, but it's an honor to have the match regardless. And, um, you know, he gets on this hot streak. You know, he has a great match with Randy Orton, which I has my favorite counter ever, which is Randy Orton somehow fucking countered a choke slam into an RKO. Um, yeah. And then, you know, he has, uh, you know, he has the match at 23. He has the match with edge at 24 he has the match and then he has the back-to-backs with Shawn michaels which are just you know insane just just like peak pro wrestling um and you know he has back-to-back matches with triple h which are kind of like eh in my opinion eh. um 
I really, out of that, I really, 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 really enjoyed uh, Taker Triple H with uh, Michaels as the guest ref in Hell in the, a Cell. Yeah, I did like that one better, but I like that one better because there was just specific moments that I felt like, okay, at least they're telling a story. Um, like the moment where um, I think it's like Sean super kicks Taker Triple H then immediately pedigrees him, goes for the cover. Sean's trying to fast count him, and he still kicks out. And then Sean does this sell in the corner. His yeah. head is in his hands. Sitting in the just, And he's just like, what? Like, it's literally, like, he's, like, having a meltdown. He's like, like, nothing can beat him. What the fuck? Like, what the fuck? And it's, like, it's just, like, that, that like, that feeling of, like, Jesus Christ, like, I'm in this match with my best friend. We're supposed to be two of the best wrestlers in the world. We're doing this together. We still can't be like that. Was the moment that was like, "Holy shit! This is like this is like shonen. This is fucking, this yeah. is fucking." Ah, oh. the pure anime of that match. It was also the only uh, Undertaker match that I ever got to see in person. Um, so it's very special to me for that reason. But also, I just thought like the storytelling in that match and then you know the finale of it where they fucking walk up the ramp together it was just like Mm -hmm. a thing a thing of beauty for me and that was also i think the first time undertaker shaved his head yeah that was the that was and that one was okay because it was just a shaved head, but then you know he had to go fucking mohawk following that, and I was like, "No, what are we doing here, Michelle? Come on, Michelle, get get his shit together. Let him do what he wants." Um, yeah. listen, sh- if, if someone sh- really cares about you, they'll tell you when you got a bad haircut. <laughs> um, the shaved head taker was when he came out with that fucking black towel thing too, right? And he had that gear that looked like fucking the shredder. Yeah, he had like some. Yeah, he had like 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 D and D fucking like dungeon master gear. Yeah, that shit was wild, dude. Look, yeah. Um, but then he has his match with uh, CM Punk at twenty nine, which is my favorite WrestleMania Undertaker match. Um, it's a close second for me. And um, I loved the build. That build was the build was money. Yeah, that the build was the beautiful. definition of money. Because <laughs> just like obviously, it coincides with the untimely death of Paul Bearer, and yeah. of course, um, there was nothing that Paul Bearer would have loved more than for his death to be used in an angle with The Undertaker for WrestleMania. Like, mm-hmm. he would have... I thought that was such a beautiful and amazing tribute to him because he would have loved that shit. Yeah. And the fucking spot when fucking Heyman... Like, even Undertaker doesn't know what's going on. Like, he hears the, oh, yes. And he sees who looks to be Paul Bearer standing on the stage. And it's like the fuck is going on and he turns around and it's paul Heyman, and the fucking gets attacked with the urn and he's lit and then punk fucking literally spills what is presumed like what is alluded to be paul bear's ashes all yeah. over the undertaker and, and he bathes himself in the ashes like it was fucking 
uh, and so and then you get to the match itself and it's just punk is bumping his ass off he's just like i am hell bent on making this the best match on the show which considering the wrestlemania he was on that was not hard to do but still (laughs) it it still was um but uh just you know, and it, I feel like the later Undertaker matches, and this is evident going forward, even after this match, is that so much, not so much, but there's always a part in the match that is built around his sit-up. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you always like I got to get in a good sit-up spot. So like the fucking Anaconda Vice into the sit-up, and then yeah. you do your fucking Scooby Doo so like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like. It's such a fucking honor to be involved in an Undertaker setup. It's just like, ah. Um, so this was, that was, um, that was, that was uh, 21 nice. and 0, yeah? That's what led to 21 and 0. Uh, yeah. The following year uh, was the year so, that so shocked we, us all, yeah? We can just, we can just skip this. So, so much like, uh, the Kennedy, much like Pearl Harbor, the Kennedy assassination, and 9-11, um, I must ask... <laughs> Where were you? I must ask you <laughs> when The Undertaker lost at WrestleMania. So, at the time, I was with, I was with my boyfriend at the time at uh, our friend Charlie and Vicky's house. Uh, it was a WrestleMania watch party, and... Uh, we're sitting and watching and uh, Charlie had been ribbing me all night about Undertaker losing because he loves to fuck with people and you know he knew that I like I get like legitimately really emotional about Undertaker so it's like I'm so we're sitting on the couch and you know Undertaker kicks out of like an F5 or whatever and I reach uh, for the bowl of chips that was like on the coffee table. And just as I grabbed it and I looked back up at the TV, um, you know, Brock Lesnar pinned the undertaker and the whole house fell silent. And I just like, like straight out of a sitcom, I dropped the bowl but it landed perfectly on the floor, like right side up, so like nothing spilled, and everybody just like it's like that meme um where everybody in the class turns around to look at you that was that was that room, and it was silent, and I just like I was just looking at the t v and I started crying silently as I'm watching this take place and then my phone starts blowing up because all my friends are no are know that I'm like now on suicide watch and just I did not say a word for the rest of the night even though like the match after was like cool as fuck and I was like yay Daniel Bryan and like all of that I was just like I I was having I was having more than a moment I was having like a breakdown <laughs> about it. 
Um, yeah. yeah, that was. Uh, I remember uh, I was watching it with some friends, and um, this was a point where I really didn't care about the Undertaker. I really didn't give a fuck, and I really didn't like Brock Lesnar. Just no fucks given about Brock Lesnar's. So I was half watching the match. So I was almost like one of the people uh, that was watching Chelsea watch the match in a sense, because I was watching my friend James watch the match, who is a lifelong Undertaker, Mark, and uh, will probably uh, have like the Undertaker logo etched into his gravestone. Um, But watching one of my friend's like all the life gets sucked out of him once it happened. Um, I was like, no, nah, that couldn't have, that can't be the finish. Here comes Teddy long to like say some bullshit or like, here comes <laughs> like, um, here comes somebody to say like, there was an issue with the ref or this, that, and the next, I'm like, it's a work. They're working us. It's something else is going to happen. Just, just give it a, give it a second. Oh, okay. We're going to the next match. Fuck. All right. Cool. Like, I wasn't, I feel like I wasn't shook by it, but I was a little turned off by, or not turned off, like, uh, what am I looking for? Like, I don't know, but it, it was weird. It was just a weird moment where, like, you don't know how to respond to it. Like, it felt like someone said, like, hey, I don't want to be with you anymore, or something like that, you know? Like, it was like, oh, okay. Cool. So props to it was what it was Daniel Bryan and fuck I can't remember who was next but like props to whoever was next after that because God knows that was like the, it everything was, uh, was, it was out the women's match I remember they that was the oh, definition of a death spot yeah that's smart of them because taking like taking any match any match after that. You had to like you were fighting an uphill battle, so like. So just now, um, in my head, uh, I jump immediately from uh, Taker Lesnar to the main event. I did not even remember until you just said that that there was a match between those two. Mm-hmm. That's how numb I was. Mm-hmm. Like, how much do you have to hate the people that have to go after breaking the streak? Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I was in my bedroom. I was watching WrestleMania with my friend Kyle. I remember it was the first WrestleMania that was on the network, mm-hmm. and I just remember you know this is you know they're just starting to figure like the the feed would glitch all the time. Yeah, so I remember. The feed was glitching a lot during that match, and then it happened, and then it was like, there was like a brief second where I was like, "Wait, did 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 my my feed fuck up? Like, did I did I misinterpret a three count here? Like, I I thought my feed had like repeated or something, so that's what why it sounded like a three count, and then the feed kept going, and I'm watching the crowd just fucking sit in it, and Paul Heyman lose his goddamn mind, Um, which again. You know, not that anyone needs to put over Paul Heyman more, but fuck. That, he's, he's literally just screaming, you did it, Brock! You did it! Like, like, like literally, like, not... He wasn't convinced going in that it was going to happen. Yeah. 
and but he didn't care because he's a sleazy manager. He just wants to make his money. Um, but it's just like holy shit! Like I am now the manager of literally the, the most powerful professional wrestler in, <laughs> in the world. In the, um. So yeah, it was um. It was wild. I I. You know, a lot of criticism I've always heard about it was that it shouldn't have been Lesnar. Lesnar didn't need it. And my, I always have two arguments. Or And then they always say, like, you could have used that to elevate someone that really needed a push or deserved a push. And my argument to why I think Lesnar was the perfect choice was, was, was two reasons. One... Lesnar kind of did need it because people fail to forget that, like, up until that point, like, yeah, he's still Brock Lesnar. You know, he's never going to be like a joke or anything. He's, you, know, you can always build him up to be a credible contender, but he was kind of used as cannon fodder at that point. Cena had beaten him, uh, Triple H had beaten him. He had only beaten Punk because Paul Heyman interfered. Um, like Punk had like the visible victory over him, um, you know. Like Paul Brock Lesnar was booked like every other just like upper mid card heel that WWE books, and that win is what pushed him into that rarefied air of like being the final boss of wrestling. Yeah. And everyone thinks that he was like that going in, but no, that's not what it was. I remember when that match got booked, everyone was just like, I guess that's a WrestleMania match. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, I always disagreed with um, people who said that, like, oh, it shouldn't have been The Undertaker. It should have been, I mean, it should Yeah. Brock Lesnar, you know, somebody else who needed that elevation should have been, but when you think of it like, okay, so somebody else at time, like, I don't even know, beats well, The Undertaker. Like, well, where do was, they go from there? Exactly. Like, there had always been considerations. Like, Randy Orton was highly considered to beat him. Apparently, there was brief conversations about Edge beating him. Um, there was a consideration of putting Wade Barrett into a match with him to beat him. Like, I think Wade Barrett was an early idea for WrestleMania 29. Um, but someone made the really good point, which is that, like, if you're somebody who's, like, still on the come up, or if you're someone who hasn't fully defined their legacy or their, their role in the company, and you beat The Undertaker out of WrestleMania, yeah, yeah, that's a hell of an accomplishment, and it definitely is a boost to your career. But you are going to be defined by that. Like That's, that's that, it. Nothing else you will ever do. And it's do. going to it's gonna probably crush you more than it is going to lift you up. Yeah. And whereas, like, Lesnar had accomplished enough, he had already established himself enough to where that win didn't define him, and it actually elevated him. Yeah. Not only, not only that, but just being that the streak is Undertaker's like biggest, you know, most lasting final legacy Mm -hmm. on professional wrestling. um, It had to be the person to break it 
had to be like I don't know how else to say it other than this, but like it had to be like a fucking dick. Yeah. It's like Brock Lesnar came back into wrestling like a huge fucking dick. It's like, oh, my parents said I could be anything I wanted when I was little, so I became a football player, and then a wrestler, and then a UFC fighter, and then a wrestler again. Like, that wasn't necessarily, um, like, wrestling wasn't, like, the biggest, greatest thing that he ever wanted in his life. It's just, like, wrestling's a job, that makes him ungodly amounts of money and he doesn't really care how he's booked. It's like, so when it's something like that, like that makes it to me even better storytelling that it's this yeah. huge dick who did it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Cause it, it doesn't mean anything to him. Yeah. And that's like that that pinfall was like what like he might as well have looked in the camera and go I, what's the big deal you fucking marks yeah yeah like his his whole thing with it is like he he looks at he looks he fucking laughs he sits up he sits up after pinning the undertaker and he fucking laughs cuz it's like yeah that was really important to all, to all 100,000 people in the stadium wasn't wasn't it guess what i was getting paid either way tonight when, but anybody else, even going into, even if like Wade Barrett had gone into that match as like a major heel, um, it still would have been this like big emotional thing where, you know, it would have been an I'm sorry, I love you moment. Yeah, it would have been a, like an irrev, like there would have been a reverent moment. Like they would have had that thing where they look at each other, they maybe they shake hands, maybe they hug, maybe. Yeah. Wade Barrett goes to kneel and then Taker's like, no, you don't kneel. I kneel. And it's like, you know, like it would, it would have this reverence because, because regardless of like who, what the character Wade Barrett is, the character Wade Barrett is still someone who like loves pro wrestling and wanted to be a pro wrestler. And that's, that's kind of Brock Lesnar's gimmick is he never wanted to be a pro wrestler. He literally just did it for the money. And it just so happens that he's amazing at it, um, like all aspects of it, not just the physical. <laughs> um, so he has this perfect character of like, whatever you fucking dorks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like, oh, that sounds cool. Um, yeah. Like, how much will I get paid to do that? Yeah. And that's just kind of, I think, what made it so perfect. I think there's not even anybody else like him that it could have been because up until now they were, you know, up until that point, like they were establishing the return of Brock Lesnar to be like a really brutal, violent motherfucker. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, a had to be someone with such immense, enormous power like that. Yeah. And then it just, it had to be someone who could be the most hated figure in all of pro wrestling and not care. Because for, for years and years and years after, if it, was, if it was a Randy Orton or a Wade Barrett or an Edge or something, there would always be the arguments of like, oh, well, he didn't deserve that. And yeah. in this case, it's not about Brock Lesnar deserving to break the streak or not, because that's not a thing that 
the character and the person of Brock Lesnar, like, considers as a thing. Like, he does not care. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not something to deserve. It's just like, he's like, I was booked to wrestle this guy. I'm going to wrestle him. And I'm going to beat the shit out of him because I'm the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it was. It was another day at work for him. Yeah. And that's whole, that's, you know, the whole to, to you, the day and Bison walked into your village was the most important day of your life. To me, it was Tuesday. Yeah, to him, it was just a Sunday. So, at, you would well, wait, think... Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Um, I think, because that's a perfect stopping point, because I feel like we're already almost at like two hours. <laughs> and we, we tried to skim as much as possible. How would you guys feel about maybe doing a part two where we focus on the last few years of Undertaker's career, the stuff that we were really paying attention to because we were all dialed in at that point. We were all back in the, we're all in the business. We're watching and kind of going over kind of just, I don't know how we feel about Taker in the end and, and however, whatever else we would want to talk about. Like, how do you guys feel about a part two? I wouldn't hate it. Sure. I mean, at this point, there's only five years left of Taker's career. But I feel like there's a lot to talk about in those five years. There's <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and I want to give everything its proper time. Yeah. All right. So also, we have to leave time for me to spend an hour and a half talking about what happened in the five years series. Happened what? We have to talk. It, there, we have to leave an hour and a half of me to talk about all of the poetry of what happened after this year's Survivor Series. Fair. Holograms, okay. kids, holograms. <laughs> all right. So I guess that is, uh, we'll call this the end of un, of uh, of the history. Uh, Taker, of, Taker care and business. Taker care Take of business care part of business. one. Um, and we will return sometime, maybe in December, to finish up the story of The Undertaker and our vibes on it. Because, you know, two hours just isn't enough to talk about the dead man. Um, so what if I told you December right now? If you said what? What if I told you it's December right now? What if I told you you're right? <laughs> the, the December is coming. I feel like from I'm playing metal. I feel like I'm playing Metal Gear, and I just got that flash. That's like, oh no, you've entered a time paradox. <laughs> <laughs> is it December or is it also November? The world may never know. Um, so, no, they so very easily can know. It's just call a calendar. <laughs> Oh, this is true. So uh, I want to thank our special guest this week, The Undertaker. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't uh, wasn't able to make it, and he told me to tell you, you guys can find The Undertaker on all social medias by simply searching The Undertaker. That being said, you can find Demon Road Diaries by simply searching Demon Road Diaries on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find the coda at we. Are the Coda on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Gmail, and ProWrestlingTees.com slash WeAreTheCoda. By the way, that sale is over. You can find me personally at MusicCityKG on Instagram, Twitter, PlayStation Network, and Cash App, even though my PlayStation's dead. Rios? 
my name is uh, the Ronnie. Bleh, I've Ronald James Rivers. My, my brain literally just stopped working. I was like, what am I even trying to do right now? I think my brain had an existential crisis. It just was like, why? Why even say words? Um, you can find me, your bastard son, Ronnie Rios, on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bastard Son Rios. And my PlayStation's perfectly alive. <laughs> um, fuck. What? year is it uh you can find me chelsea durden on instagram at durden says twitter at the durden says uh pro wrestling slash chelsea durden if you're interested in helping me put my cats through college i now have six of them please help i have lost control of my life uh i'm living in a space and vacuum um, and and based on when this episode's coming out if you live in the Tampa, Florida area, and you've got absolutely fucking nothing to do December 4th, this Friday, come see our own Chelsea Durden, the necessary burden, in action at GCW, the Diamond Cup. Fuck off about these burdens, but yes, you will see me there if I am not unbooked for the show. Um based off of the promo i am about to cut as soon as we finish recording this episode boy is it a fucking doozy so we'll see if i'm busy on friday or not <laughs> um uh, please be nice to my mother on instagram she's a lovely woman and it's getting near hanukkah which is her favorite time of year uh and you can't be always, anti-Semitic during hanukkah it's just not a lot just don't fucking do it from all of us here at demon road diary for Caden Green, Ronnie Rios, The Undertaker, and Chelsea Durden, we ask that you all stay safe and stay jacked. And rest in peace. You got Reese's Pieces? You gonna do it now. You gonna murder a big mistake.